Welcome everybody to the Deal With It podcast and Clubhouse event. This is episode four, which we have titled Deep Dive Data Dissection Discussion. Uh, today we're looking at one of the uh, matches between the Johns brothers, Ben and Colin, and Tyler Lung and Spencer Smith. Uh, I'm going to post a link to that in my Facebook page at uh, facebook.com forward slash Dill Pickleball so people can take a look at that as they follow along here on the podcast. And really, there's a gentleman on one of the pickleball forums who took a ton of time. He said hours, which I imagine it took way longer than it totally should have, but he dissected every single shot in that match, which was a super exciting match, and uh, kind of came up with some stats. So... Uh, Vinny and I today are going to take a look at that and kind of uh, see what we can glean from the information. So thanks for joining us here, Vinny. Yeah. Hey, David. Good to hear you, see you, be on the podcast again with you, I think. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty excited about uh, what we're going to do tonight. I think it's a form. It's a little bit of a format flip where we're not just talking about our games, but mm-hmm. talking about some really good players' games. So if you're listening, if you can imagine uh, watching Michael Jordan highlights uh, with the guys you play pickup with at your local gym, that's what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> that's who. That's who we are. We're gonna dissect LeBron James's game from the local twenty-four hour fitness gym. That's uh, that's the idea. Yes. Uh, taking a look here, uh, just kind of if you want to watch the the game or watch the match itself, it is going to be in that link that I posted on my Facebook page, so you can see. Uh, the entire match, which was a super close match, it was 11-9, 9-11, and 11-6 with Tyler and Spencer eventually pulling out the win. So, I mean, it was like nail-biter the entire way through. I mean, points going each way, runs going each way of rallies. It was super, super exciting to watch, so totally worth the time. Yeah, definitely worth engaging. If you are a fan of pickleball, even if you are a pickleball voyeur, if you listen to episode <laughs> three, uh, th- this you, this you could do right from the comfort of your own home. Perfect. I mean, you, this was you know you have to be outside or uh, neglecting your own pickleball <laughs> yeah. match to enjoy this level of competition. Uh, so true. So enjoyable. True. Um, starting with the match highlights, as you guys are following along on on that page on the on the Dill Pickleball Facebook page. Oh. What kind of stood out to you on those match highlights, Vinny, um, as you look through those numbers? So there were a couple things. Uh, first in particular was just the number of shots per rally. That average of 10.5 mm-hmm. seems so you know much greater than what, what we're used to um, in terms of our own play and, and getting to where we're, where, where we're playing a regular, in a regular match. So that was pr- really fun to watch. And then that longest rally of 55 shots, I mean, that's – that was just incredible, yep. incredible to watch. Seuss is crazy to see that, to see how, how all of the shots took, were taken there. I mean, it had a, bit, had a little bit of everything in there. That 10 and a half, you know, we, we have a, a Dill Pickleball YouTube channel that uh, you guys can go out and watch our matches and see how, we, how we're continuing to progress um, as we have our pickleball journey going on. Uh, we're definitely not averaging 10 and a half uh, shots per no. rally. I mean, no, we're not. I, th- I think we would probably be. Anywhere between the two and a half ish range would be my guess. Yeah, I think that's probably on if we took all the games and averaged them out. Mm-hmm. Out, yeah, yep. The other thing I, I know that uh, watching watching the match, and this is what struck me as I was looking at these stats here with the match highlights: only one serve out of 141 was missed the entire match, which yeah. to me seems ludicrous. 
But in watching the serves, I know, I know for me, I try to be a bit more aggressive with my serves to get my opponents a little bit off kilter so that I can put myself in a better position. It's a lot like what I tried to do in tennis, whereas I watch these guys and it's not necessarily a mixture of spin, power, soft, long, deep, short. You know, I, I don't see a lot of that. I just see a typical serve that gets in the court so they can play the match. Yeah, that struck me too, just as a, in terms of a strategy difference than what I've approached the game as well. Like we're trying to get, you know, I'm, I'm chasing aces, I think, with my mm -hmm. serve. You know, I'm either trying to paint the back line or get that front outside corner, you know, short. Uh, but these guys, it, it was a pedestrian serve almost every time. You know, mm -hmm. There's not a ton of spin, not a ton of power, but they're putting the ball in play and then they're trusting in their rally game or their yeah. volley game to get them to the point they're, they're not chasing that ace like uh you know i think as a trap maybe that, that i fall into yep absolutely absolutely totally guilty as charged you know I, I like to try and mix up my serves to keep people off balance you know whether it's a, a couple of deep serves and then a a nice soft deep serve and then a short serve and then a spin serve right i try to play yep. that game a lot and and obviously if i'm watching the best players in the world play i i'm doing it wrong or Right. I, I would like to say my game is my serve game has progressed further than the pickleball uh, game currently is. Gives me a little right. bit of a ooh, look. I'm futuristic. But really what it boils down to is I'm, I'm just not that good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or at least taking a different approach to scoring. Yep. You know, depending on the level of play. Yep. The other thing uh, looking here. And the match highlights is that there were no around the posts, which I think would have been if there was an opportunity for it. But the big thing that yeah. we try is lobs, and there were no lobs attempted during this match. Yeah, I thought I found that really interesting. How much uh, kitchen or you know non volley zone line play there was, and, and the dinking back and forth with strategic positioning. Mm -hmm. And I thought for sure I was going to catch a lot, you know, watch a lob in there with some of those shots uh, because everybody's at the kitchen line or, you know, everybody's at that line where it felt like that they'd be susceptible to that strategy, but no, no, no attempts. Yep. Yeah. It's just, I just, man, I, that, that it, it surprises me because I feel like it's an effective shot, but I guess when you're able to backpedal and have more than one uh, aggressive move at a time, then I guess it's less, less effective than it would be on, let's say me. Yeah, right. Or, you know, I was thinking too, like the one of the things when you when you watch high level athletes, they they conserve energy in a way that they like they will concede to an opponent a mm. shot, right? Like they mm -hmm. like if if they know that they're they're not going to waste energy chasing a shot that they can't get to, they're going to accept the point and come back and reset. And I, I think in terms of the the lob shot, because I think it's so. It, it's lower percentage mm -hmm. than some of the dink and dunking games they were playing that mm -hmm. perhaps that's a reason why they avoided it is it is lower percentage. It doesn't, uh, you know, get you anything, even, even a successful lob because it, there's so much time between the ball arcing in the air and landing on the court that an opponent can get back to it and return it where it doesn't really put you in an advantage. If you, if you're able to land it, unless you get your opponents out of position. Yep. Yep. Which I feel like they're, constantly moving i mean obviously you can see oh, yeah. the thing they're constantly shuffling their feet trying to make sure they're in position and even the people who aren't hitting or even 
before the ball is struck, they're basically, you know, they're kind of continually shuffling their feet back and forth to try and get into that position to see and anticipate where the ball is going. So I I would definitely agree that, you know, lobbing may not be the the best option because they're probably going to be ready for it and the ball is going to fly at your face. Yes. (laughs) Um, Looking at the player highlights, which is kind of giving the highlights of each um, each person, or if there was a highlight for each person, um, the thing that uh, kind of initially stood out to me was the fact that Colin Johns, uh, Ben Johns' brother, only missed one dink out of 135 of them. Yeah, that was just incredible. Uh, that was, yeah, that was just incredible to watch. Like to be able to have that kind of paddle control and touch around mm-hmm. the net but was pretty marvelous to watch. Yep. Very enjoyable. Yep. Uh, what stood out to you and in, in kind of those player highlights? Uh, I think long not missing a serve or a return, mm-hmm. like just having a hundred percent. He didn't miss one serve. He didn't miss one return. So you, one of the things that just overall too within the match was the, the level of focus among each one of those four guys we touched on a little bit in our last episode and, and wanting to improve that in our own games. But these guys played with a focus every shot, every point, uh, you know, every match that there's just a high level of intentionality. And so I think that, that absolutely reflects in that 100%, you know, return and serve accuracy. Yeah, I, it's it's one of those that it's 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 pretty crazy to think about 100% serves in which again we talked about kind of how they serve but even returning and and trying to be specific where you want to return but i still felt mm-hmm. like they were being slightly conservative without trying to play the lines too much like it was a little bit it was targeted but not necessarily to the extreme of maybe what we try to be more precise and more extreme in our lines and and trying to target specific corners or whatnot Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think, uh, Smith's unforced errors was another thing that caught my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I just personally, a thing that I want to continually drive down in my own game is those unforced errors. Yep. Um, and so to, to see that stat, you know, in a game that included, uh, was it uh, over 1500 shots mm-hmm. between the four players? It's only for him himself as a player to only have 10 unforced errors. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, that's, that's, that's insane. And looking at the number of, of shots that he had, if you look down at the shots taken, he took 58% yeah. of the team shots. So the fact right. that he only had 10 unforced errors out of 58% of the team shots and the other number is 29%. So my math isn't all that good, but if we do a little bit of 10%, it was 150. So what he hmm. took out of 30% of the, of the total Match shots, which is yep. or maybe four fifty. Yeah, oh, my math, my math is terrible. I think it's four fifty. I yeah. mean, ten were unforced errors. Like, yep, that's that's just that's just insane. Yep, it's wild. I might have the inverse. <laughs> just, you know, ninety percent unforced error, ten percent, you know, fantastic, fantastic. It reminds me of the uh, the, the old adage from. Uh, Oh gosh, uh, Bagger Vance, you know, uh, mm-hmm. one, uh, one great shot and three terrible shots equals par. Yep. So that's, uh, that's my pickleball game. Three unforced <laughs> errors and one fantastic shot, you know, might get, might get me a point. Keep you, might get keep me a you match. Keep me coming back, right? Yeah. Keep me coming back. Yep. That's funny. Uh, 
Looking at looking at the shots taken, um, and we're gonna do the shots taken plus the kills to unforced ratio because I feel like those two kind of go together, which surprises me. I look at Lung's team shots, which is forty two percent, which is the lower percentage between uh, him and Spencer. Yeah. But looking at his kills to unforced errors ratio, he had a two point five eight, so he had thirty one kills and only twelve unforced errors, which would indicate he's the quote-unquote better player of the group. Yet you yep. can see that the uh, Johns, the Johns brothers, were trying to keep it away from Tyler and trying to attack or hit it toward Spencer. Yep. Yep, that was fun. That was neat to watch, too, that that, that obvious team strategy as they played the game mm-hmm. you know, or played play throughout the match. Yep. Yep, and you can see that as well as with the, uh, the Johns brothers. You can see that Ben had less shots. Uh, total yep. in the team than Colin did. Obviously, yep. they're trying to attack the player and obviously attacking the number one player in the world. Probably not the best idea. Yeah. Yep. Seems like that's wise. Next, looking at the third shots, which I feel like this is probably the stat that is most interesting to really kind of hone in on and focus on and see what we can glean from. Um, I, I've, I don't know if you've watched a lot of the, a lot of the videos I'm sure you have on, on YouTube and whatnot, where it's like, Oh, third shot drop, third shot drop, third shot drop. Like this yep. is what they try to pound into your head. Like you need yep. to master this shot because it is the shot, which right. it's, it's an important shot. But looking at these numbers here, I think it tells a different story than what a lot of coaches I've seen on YouTube um, have been trying to push. Yeah, I think that the third shot drop it is a point-scoring strategy, and so it makes sense to teach or to drive that, but if if your accuracy or your comfortability isn't there to land it, mm-hmm. why not, as it seems like Lung did, hit that drive mm-hmm. as a third shot and then reset and play your dink and dunk game and look for the kill. Yep. Right? Look for that hard driving down the middle, split the, split the player shot. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than trying to chase something, you know, that you, you might struggle with or, or, you know, again, the definition of insanity, continuing to pursue the same behavior, expecting a different result. Yep. Yep. And, and looking at the numbers again, 93% of Tyler's third shots were drives. That means he, he yep. hit it hard at his opponents and he had an effective, which again was the definition that allows their team to improve their position. He had an effective rate of 63%. So 93% drive, 7% drop, 96% of those were in, which again, I didn't see a lot of going for lines, trying to be hitting at the angles. It was just seemed like he was just trying to put a drive out there so that he and his partner could approach yep. and be able to yep. get up to that non-valley zone. Yeah, it's, again, just interesting to watch the some of the better players in the world play and ha- some of the, st- the strategic specific differences there are in the way that we've approached the game or, or tried to play to score. Uh, just, yeah, so again, fun and, and excited mm-hmm. to get out there and take some things I've learned from watching the game out, out there and implement, my, implement yeah. my own game. And I think the other the other two, I mean, you can look at Ben as well. Ben did 60, uh, 62% drive, 38% drop, and was effective 76% of the time. He hit 86% of his third shots in, which in watching the match, again, it could be just because I wanted to evaluate the numbers. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I felt like he hit more drops, like 
didn't count versus or or missed versus yeah. drives that were missed. And then you have Colin and uh, Spencer who had the lower percentages. And I, and I just see the numbers here. I see um, Tyler who had 90, 93% drives, 63%. Ben who had 62% drives, 70, 76% effective. Yeah. Smith, uh, Spencer who had yeah. 54% drives was 43% up. Uh, effective and then Colin who only had 20% drives was 51% effective so half of his shots were effective in helping the team gain position and be able to put themselves in a spot to continue to rally or win the point with that higher 80% for Colin that that 80% drop in mm -hmm. attempt right like or the, the 80 cent drop shot to only see a 50% effective rate really flies in the face of some of that coaching we're seeing or some of that push yep. for the third shot drop and it looks, I mean, he's obviously quite effective. Well, I should say he's, he's very good at third shot drops. I mean, he had 96% of his third shots yeah. in, and if 80% of them were drops, I mean, obviously he's, he's pretty, pretty stellar yeah. in the terms of third shot drops and his skill in that regard. But I think looking at the entire match, that's probably the thing that makes me feel better about myself, I guess, <laughs> is like... What I'm doing, like hitting the drives, yeah. is it can be effective. I'm seeing it effective on a pro level. Um, and, and it's something that, yes, I should be able to have all the weapons on my utility belt to be able to pull out and use. But I do see a positive outcome on the drives versus drops for the third shot. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to feel like a piece of the puzzle is missing because you're taking a different mm -hmm. strategy with that third shot. You know, yeah. uh, the third shot drive can be a winning strategy or, or let me rephrase. It can be an effective strategy in improving your court position. Correct. Yes. That's probably the best way to put it. it, it and, and that's where the kind of, I, I think it can only get better with stats from here yeah. and looking at what it takes um, in, in this sport. Um, I think it's going to become more concrete with different stats. I mean, I look at, look at baseball, I look at golf, right? They yeah. have, huge metrics that determine what actually is, is the best thing, right? Cause yep. I'm, I'm a big golfer yeah. and I know you're a big baseball guy. Yep. I look at for golf and, and, and the stats for me, strokes gained is, is the thing it's the, yeah. it's the name of the game. And you try to figure out how to gain strokes versus the field. And that's why you're starting to see people like Bryson DeChambeau who are crushing the ball 350, 400 yards, um, because they've discovered that the driving really helps you gain strokes on the field and put you in a position to be able to get closer to the green, which yep. gives you a better shot at the green and gives you a better chance to make birdies and eagles. Yep. So in baseball, what, what are you, what are you seeing um, for stats as you watch the game, as you've, you know, basically loved the game for so long, yeah. how does stats impact um, players and organizations yeah i think that there's a couple that have that have shaped baseball particularly and that's a whole probably a whole another podcast episode but particularly the, the biggest one <laughs> like people watching the game would see is the defensive shift so you take mm -hmm. the analytics have come into play and they allow you to understand how a player hits the ball and to what direction and position of the field mm -hmm. and then you are shifting your defensive position based on the the majority of where he's putting the ball into play and so you'll see, you know, your third baseman almost play shortstop or more in the second baseman's position. 
your second bases mm-hmm. move uh, to behind uh, to cover the gap between first and second. Just everybody shifted over, um, depending on the area of the field, left to right, where that hitter is hitting the ball. And so mm-hmm. that's affected the game defensively um, and reduced batting average where, you know, as soon as guys figure out how to bunt again, you know, you can eliminate that as an alternative. But again, <laughs> I'm, I'm drifting into the other podcast episode, but <laughs> like that's a that's a metric that has changed the way the game is played. And I think you're right. As, as pickleball continues to progress, as guys put in the time to do this kind of deep analysis and produce these kind of results, we're going to see the strategies begin to develop and, and, and play out. Um, yep. Yep. I know that Moneyball was also a, a big oh, yeah. thing, Huge. right? Yep. It was a whole movie. So obviously yep. it was all about stats and, and batting averages. Yeah. And, you know, basically trying to figure out what, what the average baseball player that you're trying to get produces and putting yep. the team together based on that. So Yeah, the, that's the other one, the on-base percentage. That, that might be an equivalent one to percentage of effective third shot style. Hmm. You know, might be an on-base percentage, equivalent to the on-base percentage. You know, what is, hmm. what is the, for baseball, what is the most effective in producing runs? So it became about on base percentage and getting guys on the bases, money ball, um, in pickleball, it might be what is, what is the greatest percentage of, of effective court positioning in terms of third shot strategy? Is it the drop? Is it yep. the drive? Um, yeah. Yeah. Is, is it something else that no one's thought of yet? Right. Yeah. That's it's legit. That's the beauty of this game, right? Yeah, it's because so new. It's so new, yep. and you can continue to evolve in the game and see exactly what's going on. Yeah. Um, I think that different players can play different strategies, and that's where I see it more like more like golf, right? Yep. Uh, and looking at, uh, you have people who don't hit it long, but who have fantastic short games. You have people yep. who really hit it long and have terrible short games, and obviously the winner is usually somebody in between who has decently long yep. and decently you know, a decent short game. Yep. And, and so I think that you can play your game, play your strategy, and people have to be prepared for that because you're competing against them, which makes it a little, obviously a little different than golf than like, yep. let's say baseball, who you have to actually prepare and see, you know, who you, who's batting and you know yeah. what the defensive shift will be because you see who's up at the plate. Yep. Yeah. I, I think even in our own, small group community of pickleball players. Like we we've seen some of that stylistically re- reveal itself on the court. You know, I think mm-hmm. of like uh, Micah, he, he typically plays a game with a lot of spin. So that yep. that's different than say playing with you or, or, or playing with Becky, your, your wife um, who mm-hmm. may play with some power or some touch compared you know to Micah's game or my son, Noah absolutely prefers the back line and just wants to yep. stay there. And so, Yep. You know, you can allow his teammate to play mid to front, no, vo- you know, mm-hmm. no volume zone and just enjoys playing that because he feels more comfortable back there. So, yep. yeah, I think those things are going to continue to progress and play themselves out as the game grows and ages. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that that's actually could be quite effective, um, especially like a, a one up one back. Yeah. Um, I think as, as you have somebody who is quick and somebody who will, you know, maybe two quick players, one who's quick in the back, one who's quick in the front, yep. you have a little bit more poaching going on. You can be a little bit more aggressive with that. Yeah. Um, I, I see sometimes like the, the waters, um, they are the ones who do like a, uh, an ISO formation or a yeah. one up one back for serving and whatnot. Yep. So it's, it's definitely something that you are starting to see a variety of 
of strategies, yeah. which, which I think is just, I think is great. But I, but totally agree. We're starting to learn each one's nuances and understanding how to play them. And, and obviously, I think that's what happens with the pros, right? You're yeah. playing Tyler and Ben. I imagine they play quite a bit in tournaments. And yeah. you start to see each person's idiosyncrasies and each right. person's tendencies to be able to uh, play their game and what shot they might try to hit yeah. based on the position they're at. Yeah, to to continue to mix the sport analogies, if you go, you know, the, the second year rookie quarterback sensation in the NFL typically has a downturn. So if he has a fantastic rookie year, uh, it's because he's brand new and there, there's not a lot of quote unquote tape on him on him. But mm-hmm. that second mm-hmm. year, you know, defensive coordinators have had all year to analyze his tendencies yeah. and they've now can game plan toward his strengths. And I think, as you know, again, we'll see that as the game ages and we continue to play more, not only with one another, but also just broadly as as the game grows, we'll be able to see those tendencies in, in players and in, in the game that lead to success and those that don't. Yep, absolutely. So so bringing it to our community some more, what what specific things have you did you glean from the numbers that you're like, man, I'm going to do that more often? Yeah, um, I, I think for me, it's it's really letting go of that third shot drop fixation, at, le- at least for me, mm-hmm. thinking through that, like being being comfortable with hitting a third shot drive and allowing that to, mm-hmm. to get me to a, a good court position is, is OK. I'm not violating a, you know, a, a, an unspoken law of the game. And so that was something that <laughs> I, I want to think about. Uh, uh, I think the the other just from watching the match that that I that I want to bring bring is the court positioning adjusting, um, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's just from these two you know each of these teams playing together so often, but there is a man just an unspoken movement between them in terms of how they are aware of one another's court positioning, and so mm-hmm. I'd like to figure out how to grow, grow that. I mean, obviously it's going to come with playing more, but maybe playing more with a specific partner um, to compensate that or just to grow into awareness of that. Mm-hmm. And I know you mentioned that there's more than just the numbers I imagine with these guys, right? Cause I look at these yeah. numbers and think, well, if, if you look at Tyler's, you know, kills the unforced errors ratio yeah. and Ben's kills the unforced ratio errors, like a uh, match made in heaven, like yes. dude, they dominate. Yep. But I think there's more than just the stats of the game that have an impact in watching the actual match. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think the, the, the brothers communication and, and, and fluid movement together was something, you know, that they'd benefit from just from their familial relationship and, and time spent together. Right. Like mm-hmm. that, that is a thing in sports. Um, yep. You know, good. You think of the great partnerships across, across the board, whether it's, you know, um, men's beach volleyball or, you know, women, the women's Olympic beach volleyball team that played for, I can't think of their names right now, but, you know, just, I think it was three or four Olympic, uh, summer Olympics that they went to and just dominated. Mm-hmm. And just that, yep. that partnership, that unspoken thing happens between af- athletes when they partner together. Mm-hmm. For long periods of time, just yep. to, again, they know, they know each other better than, probably anyone else who's even watching the tape. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson, you know, <laughs> I mean, they, they just, they just had it. They had it down. 
That is so true. Oh, man. That's a great. I would say for me, looking at the match and looking at the numbers, I think Phil from uh, last week, he talked a little bit about it. And I think even the week before on our podcast, he talked about playing the middle of the court. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there is a a benefit to playing, I would even say playing like the middle 80% versus just the actual middle kind of splitting, splitting down the line. I, I don't see these guys too often trying to take risks to try and work the ball. And, and really what I've, what I've been noticing and me trying to do that mm. is I don't, I don't have the touch to do that. Yeah. Like I know what I want to do and the ball just does not react off the paddle. Like I would expect it to very often. Yeah. Like, Is, I, is that ahead. tennis? I was just gonna say, is that, is that a, is that a, just a tennis vibe that hasn't been adjusted quite yet to the pickleball or is, or is that just learning to pickleball? I, I would definitely say it's, it's a tennis. Like I feel like I had a lot more touch, a lot more control. And, mm. and it's probably because the strings would either absorb or the strings mm. would um, be active. Right. I, yeah. I feel like I have a little bit more touch with, with the rebound of the strings based on what I wanted it to do. Yeah. And I just don't, I mean, I, I'm sure again, I'm not, I'm not 5.0 or anywhere near that. Um, so I'm sure it has to do with my skill level, but uh, actually I played this, uh, the, this afternoon with my in-laws nice. who are here. So yeah, dude, you totally, I think we're kind of play on Saturday if you want to uh, okay. head this way and come join us uh, before my son's birthday party for with my family. Nice. Yeah. So uh, we, we played this afternoon and yesterday afternoon and I was trying some, I was just trying some shots because again, I'm the best player of the four of us who are playing. <laughs> and so, yep. You know, being a hundred percent, being aggressive, trying to actually, you know, put all in, you know, basically would be no fun for anyone. So right. <laughs> I, I try to play different shots. Like I was working on the third shot drop, which I failed multiple times and I tried hitting angles with it. And I just, I could not for the life of me get the angles to do what I wanted to do nine out of 10 times. So yeah, yep. playing that and then thinking about, what I saw with this match really clicked for me in saying I should probably be less aggressive in terms of that mm. and look at how to play more conservative with intentionality. Yep. I, I, I would agree. I think that's been a thing I've been thinking about lately is, is playing with a softer paddle. Um, and, and not mm-hmm. needing to kill it every single time, you know, and just, again, chasing the ace or chasing the kill, but allowing the game to come to me and then, t- and then be able to stay focused, stay within myself and, and, and nail that opportunity, but not feel like I have to chase yep. it with every swing. Cause these guys were, these are the pros and that's not the way they were playing. You know, they, they waited for the opponent's mistake or they waited for the, the the, the shot to come too high above the net and then they chased the kill, but they weren't looking for mm-hmm. it for at every single you know swing of the paddle. Correct. You know, it's that, that nemesis thing called uh, patience. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and that's something that I know you mentioned in the previous podcast of, 
you know, not liking me to let off on the throttle or you feel like, you know, I, I hit these shots and then I played something nice and easy. And really that's part of what I will try to do is to throw you off balance a little totally. bit so that I can then be a bit more effective on either the next shot or the next serve or whatever. Yeah. So I totally get what you're saying. It's, it's, it's making sure you're, you're being effective with every shot and being intentional with every shot and, and trying to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm like, if there's a kill shot down the middle, you know, I'm, I'm hitting that with speed and force, but I think what, yep. I, what I mean by soft paddle is um, hitting the right shot at the right time. Um, and, mm-hmm. the, and knowing what, what that shot is or thinking, you know, thinking through again, all of this things we've been talking about the last few episodes together, the focus, the paying attention and the intentionality and the patience culminating in every point or in every shot that's again something that was just fun to watch in the match uh that we discussed uh final thoughts here any final thoughts on the match on what we can glean from it yeah i, I think that there's hope uh for all all pickleball players <laughs> uh well while these guys played exceptional and they played really really well there wasn't anything like i, I you know, reference Michael Jordan, LeBron James at the beginning of, the ep- uh, of our talk, but mm-hmm. there wasn't anything LeBron James esque. They they played more like mm-hmm. Steph Curry plays basketball, where you know it's the every man could play the game that they played uh, mm-hmm. in that ep- in that video. So for me to hope for all pickleballers out there, no matter what skill level you are, there's room to grow, and, and the game you know the, the game can be played at a, at a level that is excellent. That doesn't feel like you have to be you know a star, super crazy athlete to get to. Yep. Yep. How about for you, David? I, I totally, I, oh yeah, I totally agree. I, I look at them and, and I'm sure they make it look easy and I'm sure it's not easy and I'm sure they have shots that I would totally mess up on. Right. I mean, I have a tendency to put the ball up in the air too high, which, you know, then I'm sure they would again, take, take that opportunity to, to <laughs> shove that ball right back down my throat. Um, but the the game itself and what the, what they play looks looks attainable. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. I could so do that. I, I feel like yes. I, you know, I really feel like I there's there's a chance. Yeah. Um, which you're is, telling which is me there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> which which I think is not great. To ha- I I don't know. I, I guess it's nice to have hope to think that yeah. you could. Really, I think it boils down to. I don't. I don't know how good I, I am in pickleball, so mm-hmm. I like to think that if I played enough and I practiced enough, which I don't do, um, but if I did, yep. I could be somewhere in the mid tiers. Yeah. Of of somewhere. Uh, yep, yeah, I would agree. I think as we grow and get better, it's it's time to test those waters intentionally, right? You want to maybe mm-hmm. a local tournament yep. or a local competition and see where we're at and you know yep. just kind of test ourselves i think that day's yep. coming i i agree i agree i think that uh we're gonna have to make make the jump to the to the deep end of the pool that's right i'm ready i'll get my floaties <laughs> i mean i would say get my little my little ring floaty thing <laughs> that goes around my belly but uh yeah. that might that might not work because i might like you know like a bobber and flip, flip upside down. <laughs> All right. Oh. Hope for the pickleballer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
hope for the pickleballer. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Thanks for all those who joined us here. Uh, and I uh, look forward to seeing you guys in the court. Thanks, sir. Catch you yep. next time. Thanks, David. Yep.